All right, all right, all right. It's Ideas Into Action, episode 19. I'm your host, Hamza Khan, and our producer is Kwaku Ajimong, a.k.a. Kwaku On Air, a.k.a. Kwaku Leonard. This guy puts the podcast on his back, and I'm forever grateful for all that he's done and all that he does to bring this podcast to life. Seriously, I could not do this without him. In the coming weeks, we're going to be launching Ideas Into Action social media accounts, which I'll encourage all of you to follow. And when you do, be sure to show some love to Kwaku. All that you're hearing and seeing is because of him. Our guest today is on my personal board of directors. He's my mentor, Greg Brown. Greg Brown is the founder of Change Ready Leadership and the best-selling author of Ready, Set, Change Again. An award winner in the fields of leadership and change, Greg helps leaders and teams seize opportunities, create positive change, and elevate their effectiveness in the workplace. As an international keynote speaker, he engages his audiences to help them break out of the status quo change management thinking and discover people-centric approaches that actually work. His work has been featured nationally and internationally in media such as Entrepreneur, Global News, iHeartMedia, HR.com, and on CTV's Social. In this conversation, we talked about the power of calmness, personal leadership, and elite public speaking. We also talked about structured downtime, relaxation practices, and getting in the zone. It was an inspiring conversation that got me to consider all that it would take to unlock a new, higher level of performance. My friends, give it up for Greg Brown. Greg Brown. We're finally doing this. We are. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much for obliging the invitation to the podcast. Uh, we start every podcast with a little bit of a gift. Mm. Now, it was really difficult kind of getting a gift for you because you have gifted me so much. We usually go with books and little Funko Pop toys on the show, but uh, you have given me many book recommendations, some of which I'm still pouring through at mm. the moment. So I thought to myself, what could I give Greg that would be a token of appreciation for all that he's done? And uh, I took a deep dive on your Instagram and I saw that you have an affinity for Thai Buddhas. Oh, I do. I do. As a matter of fact, you have one at your cottage, at your second house, right by the lake. I do. What is the fascination or what is the symbolism of the Thai Buddha mean to you? Well, I really like the Thai Buddha for a few reasons. Uh, one, to me, whenever I look at it, it's a very peaceful symbol. And uh, so I've had one for years. Like when I lived in Vancouver, I had one in my backyard. And then I have one in my backyard in the city. And then I thought, I need to get one at the lake. And then I bought another one for the <laughs> lake. And then I just bought another one for the lake. And, and I think, you know, regardless of what the symbol is, we all need these signposts in our lives that ground us. And Absolutely. that is something that mine does. And Bailey and I had the good fortune of staying at uh, your cottage at one point. And uh, while we were there, at night especially, it's a nice, beautiful property. It's facing the lake. Uh, at night, it got a little scary for us. Yes. But we were very fortunate that you placed some very strategically placed Buddhas around the house <laughs> that just anchored us and helped yeah. us feel calm in those moments of yeah, yeah. fearful transition. So the gift that we have for you, sir, <clears throat> is... And the box is hilarious. It says a sophisticated and elegant, high quality product. Oh my god. A goodness. mini Zen garden. Oh my gosh, I've always wanted one of these. <laughs> Thank you so much. That is yours, sir. And that, that is a is little so fun. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you can find a nice place in your home that or your is... office. I'll put it down in my office. That's usually where I put them, and that keeps me calm through all my conversations. So. Lovely, lovely. Thank you so much. That's very kind. That's all Oops. yours. That's all yours. And we'll hook you up with a bag for that afterwards as well. Thank you so much. By the way, is it true <clears> that you were one 
one of the, you were part of the team that brought some of the first Starbucks to Canada. Yeah, I, I was really fortunate. It was back in, I think, 1989, so nearly 30 years ago. And uh, Barb Reed and a woman named Joanne, I can't remember her last name, and Patty Vickers were three women who uh, were here in, or were in Vancouver. And, you know, they just started opening a few stores as part of, you know, the rollout into Canada. And I was one of the first people uh, to be brought on as another store manager and worked with them to open a number of the new stores in Vancouver. And I mean, back then, I think we maybe opened 20 or 30, you know, in a few years, whereas now it's so scaled. You Absolutely. Know? It made sense because starting in Portland and then it had the vertical, Seattle. Exp- sorry, Seattle over there, yeah, the vertical yeah. expansion up to Vancouver. Now yeah. here we are enjoying the fruits of your labor many, many years later. Well, it wasn't just me. It was a, I was a small little cog in the wheel. I will give you all the credit. No, no you're right. Your, your team gets all the credit oh, as well, yeah, yeah, just as yeah. much credit as you do. Why why has change become such a focal point for you uh, over the years? And so mm-hmm. it'd be great if in answering this question, you could sort of give us a quick overview of your career journey until now, maybe some of the milestones mm-hmm. that you'd like to share with us. Mm-hmm. And how is it that change ultimately became, change, change management, change leadership became the focus of what it is that you talk and write about today? Well, I think it really started off back when I was about 10 or so. And oh, wow. I, I remember sitting down uh, some friends in front of a chalkboard that I had on my wall of my bedroom. And I don't know if kids had chalkboards on their wall, but I did because I wanted to be a teacher. And so we were working out some math problems. And I just remember thinking, this is really fun. And then, you know, in, in the teen years, I was in summer camp every summer as a counselor, or a counselor in training and teaching canoeing and crafts. And again, watching the light bulbs come on with people gave me so much juice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I went through a couple of little jobs here and there trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then when I landed at Starbucks, that's where I really got into the training education piece. One of the women uh, named Gay Niven who worked there just ignited this bug in me and I realized that's what I really really wanted to do and and it was it wasn't just about training it was about helping people learn something new that's going to better their lives in some capacity Hmm. so whether that was you know at Starbucks or whether it was with kids learning to to do that or in some of my later work it was really about how can I help and how can I help people do things that they want to do better and there's a lot of barriers to that right. sometimes. You know, if we have our fear of failure, we have your fear of what other people are going to think. Uh-huh. There's also all those things that come when you're in the workplace with how's this going to impact me and my job? How busy am I going to get? How productive am I going to get? And, you know, I really looked at these are all the barriers I've had to go through and work through. And I really enjoy helping other people do that too and giving them practical for me you know there's a lot of different change models out there and a lot of different change theories and I think they're all good mm-hmm. um, what for me that I've found that's big, made the biggest difference in my life and the people I've worked with are those small simple practical manageable steps and if you do those simple things on a daily basis Mm -hmm. for me i believe that gives the best results small simple practical and daily and manageable and manageable yeah i'm not crazy we're gonna do this 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 and this i know there's lots of books out there that say you know set 30 year goals and set this and set that and that may have worked at some point and that might work for some people right why does why does it have to be small though greg because I think if we make things too complex, we don't do them. Huh. 
right? So if, you, if you're in a business and you set a big strategic plan and don't break it down into manageable goals and objectives, you'll never do the strategic plan. No, never. It's, it's like New Year's resolutions. If you say, oh, I want to quit smoking or eat less <laughs> or smoke more, or whatever your New yeah. Year's resolution is, it's great to have that lofty idea. But what are going to be the simple, practical, manageable things you do on a daily basis so you don't engage in that behavior? Absolutely. And I like that. That that framework right there, I think, is going to be very helpful to myself, Kwaku, to all the listeners over here for breaking down our large, what do they call them, big, hairy, audacious goals I know. into simple bite-sized pieces. Don't even get me started pieces. on that concept. No, but please, let's, <laughs> let's actually go down and talk about the big, hairy, audacious yeah. goals and why that seems to be mm. the thing that, especially in the startup field, mm-hmm. seems to be the, you know, the, 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 the phrase that's toted around by entrepreneurs so, left, right, and center. I, so the, I, everybody who's listening may disagree with me, but... I have found that in my work and in the people I work with, when you, I think it's great to have big hair editions. I'm Like, it's great to have those. I'm not saying don't have them. Right. But you have, for goals to manifest in your life, you have to believe you can do them. They have to be realistic and, and they can be a bit of a stretch goal. I'm fine with this stretch mm-hmm. goal. But if you make something too far out, People are going to be like, I'm never going to get there. Yeah, it crosses into the realm of vision. It crosses into the realm of dream and, almost. And vision right? is good uh-huh. if you can make it a reality. And you want to have a vision of what you can do. When I used to coach entrepreneurs and uh, you know, younger folks 20 years ago, they would always say to me, if they were making 50000 a year, they'd say, I really want to make 200000 a year. <laughs> yeah, buddy, like, that's, hey, that's awesome. <laughs> let's take some steps. Do you and... see yourself doing that in the next two years? And they'd be like, oh, no. I said, what about next year? How much do you think you can make next year? And they'd pick a number. And the number isn't even relative to what the work it is. The the number is relative to what they believe they can do. Right. If you do not see yourself being able to make another $25,000 this year, you will not, no matter what business you are in. You have to visualize it. Yeah. If you do not see yourself as a non-smoker, you will never be a non-smoker. You know, to give you an example of a big, hairy, audacious goal, which I, I speak about on stage, my mom, back you know in the seventies or eighties, I can't remember. No, but in the seventies, was a relatively larger woman. We, we would call them big boned back then, mm-hmm. out of courtesy. <laughs> and uh, she was going to lose weight as part of her New Year's resolution. Mm-hmm. So she put a picture of Farrah Fawcett Majors, who was one of the first Charlie's Angels. Yeah. And if you were a boy back then or a girl back in the seventies, she had long blonde hair, I remember, and a yeah. little skimpy red bathing uh-huh. suit, and everybody had it on their wall. Boy or girl didn't matter. My mom put that picture on the refrigerator. <laughs> it was a completely unrealistic vision of success. There's no way she's ever going to look like Farrah Fawcett. So, of course, it was not motivational. It was discouraging. Yes, demotivational. Yeah. That is the challenge with big, hairy, audacious goals. You have to find the balance around feeling like you can do it and taking the steps. If it feels so out of touch and you'll never see there, You'll never do it. It's like if you, you know, being a speaker, Hamza, like me, it's like if you never see yourself on stage speaking in front of a thousand people, you never will. No. You have to be able to be able to see yourself accomplishing that. And that's all personal stuff, right? Like it's not about the goals and objectives. Those help. But it's about being able to realistically believe that you can do that. I'm glad you touched on that, Greg. Mm -hmm. I think that for most of my life, I was a deficit thinker. And I think that was a product of the environment that I was raised in. I think that was a product of my parents coming from a background of scarce economics. 
Um, Me too. And and I remember being told for most of my life, like, hey, you know what? Like, have realistic dreams. Like, see as far as you can, move towards that. Just take small little increments towards success. But then when you transition into the public speaking realm, like I have, um, for the first couple of years, I was floundering. I didn't know what was possible. I was just grateful to have a room of five people. And I was grateful to not charge because I was like, hey, I'm happy to be here. But then... I started talking to people like Drew and yourself and Alan and some of my peers right now, Blake, so on and so forth. And um, you're right. You have to dream bigger. You have to see bigger. You have to imagine yourself on that TED stage. You have to imagine yourself rocking that 5,000, 10,000 person keynote. And if you can't see yourself do it, then just take it down a notch. Yeah. Like drill it down till it becomes a little bit of a stretch so that you can see yourself. So your ultimate goal might be to do let's say a 10,000 person arena. Sure. If that's something, it's not my goal, but if that's yeah. someone's goal, Air Canada Center. Yeah, let's say that's your goal, <laughs> great. For me, that's not my goal, but it can be anybody's. So you know, that's your big goal. And I'm like, if I was you know, 25 starting out speaking, that might seem too big for me to get there. At this point, for some people it might not. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at people like Lady Gaga, obviously she saw herself doing that and right. she did it. Um, whereas for the rest of us who are, you know, in a different uh, bracket, um, you know, it needs to be, maybe it's being on stage in front of 350 people. Can you see yourself doing that? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's doable. Well, let's get you there and then we'll do the next stage. And I think it's going to be different for everybody. I think so. And and I think that's what makes celebrity so so. understandable, right? Because the leap that that person would have had to take. So thinking about Lady Gaga, when she was Stephanie Germanotta playing small little clubs, doing burlesque shows for maybe just family and friends to now rocking the, the Rogers Center. I mean, we celebrate her for making that huge leap. But I think that somewhere in her transition story, somewhere in her evolution, she sat down and thought to herself, this is good right now, but I want that. And then she doggedly pursued it. But you're right. She accrued enough permission space over time to be able to do that. And I think for people like celebrities like that, I think they discover, and I I believe this for a lot of true people who are very successful at a very young age, um, and which I was not one of them. uh, I believe that they have something in their core, in their DNA. If you believe in past lives, it could be that, where they get around (laughs) to this time and at eight years old, they know they want to be a singer. Something about it, right? Yeah. You know, I knew I sort of wanted to do something with teaching, but I didn't have that ingrained core in my DNA. But if you look at any of those celebrity, you know, baseball players, sports stars. Sure, actors. Actors. Yeah. So like, you know, I was in plays when I was five. You know, Cher was singing at 15. Uh, you know, Celine Dion, the same, like all you know, the popular names. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that seems to be common. I don't think it's the exception. I don't think it's the rule. I just think it's common. Yeah, and, and it could also just be ad hoc. They could that just could be, could just be, sorry, revisionist history, them looking back at different could points be. in their life and saying could that be. that was it. But I think the rest of us, especially those of us listening right now are all in stages of transition, mm-hmm. whether they're, you know, students moving from one, uh, you know, maybe from high school to post-secondary, post-secondary to their masters or Mm -hmm. dream jobs or young professionals now becoming managers. Mm -hmm. I think everyone listening to this and watching this on YouTube is thinking, okay, so I need to envision a few years out, not 30 years, not 50 years. I just need to see a year, maybe five years out. What would be your advice to somebody that is afraid of dreaming a little bit bigger? What would you tell them? Well, something that works for me is this. Uh, and this doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me. I find someone else who's done what I want to do. There you go. And I go, 
if they can do it, I can do it. And it doesn't need to be anybody rich. It doesn't need to be anybody famous. It does. It can be simple. It's something like, if they can get a working visa, I'm going to try to get one. Because mm -hmm. I didn't even know it was possible. Yeah. And I think it's about allowing yourself to see the possibility. One of the things I've found in my years, you know, coaching and coaching and mentoring clients, you know, most of that I did 20 years ago. I'm starting to do a bit of it again. But what I notice is people put boxes around themselves that aren't real. I do that to myself. Mm -hmm. That's why I work with a coach because I need to constantly burst out of my own box. We create our own limitations based upon our lived experience. And I think uh, when people are looking at creating those transitions, look for other examples that are in your realm, in mm. your sphere. Right. Don't look at people who live on, you know, in other countries or this. I mean, depending what type of work it is, that might be appropriate. But if you look like for me with my speaking career, I look at, oh, if that person did it, maybe I can try that. Right. Because I've seen it done. I didn't even know it was possible. So I always say, you know, look for examples. The other trick, I think, is to really pay attention to what juices you up and fires you up. And, um, you, you know, I talk about that with speaking sometimes, is that we, oftentimes people will, before they get on stage, think, oh, I'm having anxiety when, when we get on stage. Yeah, what we know is the physical feeling mm -hmm. of anxiety is the same as the physical feeling for excitement. I didn't know that. Yeah. And what's the difference is it's your interpretation right. of that response. Huh. So it's like um, whether you win, your, win the lottery or lose your job, your body still goes through the same physical response. Right. You know, your heart rate goes up, your adrenaline increases, mm -hmm. your kidneys start to release glucose. Yeah, you, know, you get nauseous and... Geez. Yeah, or whatever the intensity yeah. of it is. But, you know, you start to get that cortisol flooding your brain and then you get pulled into your limbic system. <laughs> oh, and, you yeah, know, yeah, we start yeah. to go off and you know, to become in protect and preserve mode. That's a really good description of what it feels like right before I hit the stage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and someone told me many years ago, switch, switch, that, switch that switch to right. excitement not anxiety and that has really helped now the, the second corollary though to that is is it's about knowing you know when you're going down a path paying attention to i often call it the metrics of ease the metrics like, of what ease. is easy here what's and i don't believe i do believe when you hit roadblocks you should try to go through them i'm right. not saying the path of them. least resistance though i think is what yeah you're looking for. and sometimes you do have to go through that but but if you hit your head three times against the wall maybe it's not the right wall <laughs> no. and yeah. and you know in my own journey i've had to you know really pay attention to what feels right? I don't mean feel in a voodoo, woo-woo yeah, way. Yeah. I mean paying attention to your inner ding, to your gut. And when you're going down the path, going, is this making me feel open or is this making me feel closed? Is this making me feel yucky? Because sometimes if it's making you feel anxious, it might be a good anxious that you want to step through. Or is this really fear that I'm going to kill myself jumping off a mountain? You know, because there's two types of fear. You know, it's like procrastination. There's two types of it. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree with you more, Greg. I think there came a certain point in my life where I crossed a threshold where simply writing things down and planning them out to a meticulous degree wasn't going to cut it anymore. I had to start introducing into my life what you just described, which is that sensory experience. Just does it feel right? Does it feel right in the gut? Does it feel right in my head? Am I emotionally drawn to it? Does that thing have valence that I want? 
And, um, you know, you described earlier the process of looking to other people and seeing people who have done things and, you know, saying to yourself, that feels right. I feel like I can do that too. I feel like that with you specifically. I think there's two speakers in my life right now. There's yourself and there's Eileen McDar, mm. who I hope to bring on the podcast, who I think have a certain something on stage that I'm missing. And what it is for you and Eileen specifically, I mean, there's a lot of things that I, I model after how it is that you present oh, yourself really and carry well, yourself on stage. You. But the one thing that you do really well, Greg, above, I mean, you do a lot of things really well, but one thing that I, I particularly enjoy watching from the clips that I have seen mm. and from the times that I have spoken to you is you're animated, you're genuine, mm. and you're funny. And when people see me speak, the way they would describe me is the total opposites, like very rehearsed, almost over-rehearsed, yeah. canned, yeah. and the jokes seem to be very planned and oh. stale. But my friends know me, especially the ones that are listening to this podcast, Jawad and everyone else, they know that I'm naturally spontaneously funny, but that doesn't translate well to stage. And so what, I, what I'm trying to do now is take your model and try to, trying to replicate that time and time again. But you know, I'm, I'm glad that you brought this up because that's fantastic advice for all the listeners who are confused about what their next steps are. Just look to somebody within your immediate space, somebody, as you said, within your realm, see what they're doing and copy them, emulate them. Well, and I think it's, it is about copying. And yet I do think it's about, <clears throat> you know, and I see the speaking and I think it's for it, whether you're an accountant or a leader, it doesn't matter, or a mm -hmm. student or doing your master's, that it's about taking whatever that person has, but making it authentically yours. yours yeah. So it's not about how uh, Hamza gets up on stage and moves around. Mm -hmm. It's noticing someone that does that and goes, how can I do something similar that suits me? Exactly. And I think that's the same with goal setting, dream setting, setting your intentions, all that sort of stuff is what is authentic for you and what is going to be your big piece that's going to contribute to that because mm -hmm. my it's funny you mentioned that example with this speaker business coach i've been working with you know it was funny i pulled all these clips together for my latest demo reel and she was just brutal she's like you need to <laughs> learn how to do some humor and i'm Why, like what are you talking about i know i'm like hello i'm, known, <laughs> I'm basically a stand-up comedian yeah <laughs> yeah like my stuff is known as funny and like everybody writes funny and practical fun like my brand is all about funny funny practical techniques I mean, right that, that's my language nobody really says it. they all come up to me and say that was really funny that was really, <laughs> i love the techniques for this it was so easy and i have it was a you know a bit of sort of jolt in the head that i was doing all of these you know, clips, and this is just a great example of following other people and not doing your own authentic stuff. You know, I put all these other clips up there because I thought everybody wanted to see me teach, mm -hmm. which I am a good teacher, yet that's not what people hire for, right? They want to see how you engage the audience, how you be with people in my profession and yours. That's what they want to see. So I had to go back and, you know, pull out stuff like that. And they're not even the best clips because I don't even have that many good <laughs> clips of that. So I have to videotape a bunch. Yeah. But that's that, you know, for our listeners, it's it's the same principle. It's that we can we can get to the belief that, oh, I have to write a corporate thing that looks like this. And in your business, you might have to. Mm -hmm. But if you're an entrepreneur, it's a completely different story. You need in your website copy, and I'm still learning this. I coach people on it, and right. I'm still learning yeah. it. To be 100% authentic in who you are so people see your personality come out in your writing, in your copy, in your video, in your podcasts. Absolutely. And it has been 
hard for me to do that and it's easy for me to tell you to do that <laughs> well i mean what you're describing right now is is a change in doing like it's a change in behavior that you have to undergo you have to actually change some of the ways that you've been doing things and and change is stressful box. get out of that box right yeah. I, I did a keynote recently to capital one it mm -hmm. was to their people leaders and i looked them all in the face and i said hey change is inevitable because that's what the company is going through right now but yep. so is stress as a result of that change and you could see the color just flush from people's yeah, faces yeah, yeah. you could just see people being like i don't want to be stressed why do i have to be stressed well if you want to change you're going to have to endure some level of stress but and there's I think good stress and bad there's stress, good stress right? and bad stress so. but i think it's also deeper than that like why do you think people are afraid to change because i have a keynote coming up on friday mm -hmm. i'm going to try to practice the greg brown signature style oh of humor gosh. and i'm shaking just, just talking about it I'm going to be myself for sure, but I'm going to try to be the, the self that my friends and my family have really come to enjoy, which well, is that to, authentic self. That authentic right? self. That Gail Larson talks about in transformational speaking. Right. Exactly that. But that other part of my brain is saying, no, the formula works, Hamza. Don't change the formula. The I formula got right. you here. Mm -hmm. why, 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 why are people and why are individuals so hesitant to change? Why is well, that our natural state? So I think it's, there's two pieces to that question. I think one is it's an evolution. Uh-huh. So when I started speaking, I had a very formula structured thing and you know, I still have some of that, but it's much more authentic now in how I talk and, and what I do. And you're probably, you're probably dealing with that evolution in your own work. Mm -hmm. um, and we all evolve, right? Yeah. So that's the other thing. And I think the challenge for all of us and, and our listeners is take the pressure off. <laughs> you know, it's evolution. <laughs> Stuff's going to change. You know, that's that. So first off, just be at peace that it's going to happen. Like that's sort of the first part. It's like, we're always striving to be better than some thing that we are when you know one of the things that you know I could tell anyone listening is just sit down for you know a minute today and just say to yourself I am enough mm, I am I'm enough. enough just the way I am I'm enough I'm perfect just the way I'm right now if nothing ever happened after this I'd still be just I'm enough Craig, all the marketers listening to this right now are like, no, no, I know. people can't believe that they're enough. Otherwise, how are we going to sell them Hallmark cards? And how yeah, are we going to get yeah. them to download our courses? Well, that's and, everything, right? If we yeah. believed to have enough, we wouldn't shop. We wouldn't do this. We didn't do yeah. But I'm talking more about, not about purchasing power and things. I'm talking about that striving that we all have to mm -hmm. be different, to be better, to right. be kinder, to be more authentic, to be nicer, to sell more, whatever you know our stuff is. Sometimes it's just about being enough and just being in that space, take the pressure off. And if you do that, it's much easier to access that change because you're in a much calmer state of mind to do it. I don't mean calm meditation. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, very much you're able to be present. Yes. Be clear, be focused, be able to respond to what's happening around you in an authentic, meaningful way. Absolutely. And and it comes down to really two things with change. And you know, I speak about this a lot in my videos and on stage, is you know, there's two there's really only two avenues when you encounter change. One, you can be open to new ideas and new information, or mm -hmm. two, you can be closed. Right. That's really there's only two options. Yeah. It's binary. Where people get confused is with the opening option. When you open to change, it doesn't mean you need to jump in at 100%. Yeah. It means you can jump in at 5%. Percent. Or 10%. So if you just have that opening. So, you know, you might be closed initially, but if you just open, maybe it just means researching something a little bit before you agree to it. That's 5% openness as far as I'm concerned. Maybe it's just talking to someone about what the impact might be. Right. There's another way to create some openness. 
Because what we tend to do, uh, especially with people I've worked with who've gone job hunting, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be open to the change, then they apply for the job. And oh, even before they've applied for the job, they're, they're going, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get it. What yeah. should I do? I don't know if I'll do in the interview. What happens if I have to move? And what this? And blah, 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 That's blah, flight, blah. yeah. I'm like, you haven't even submitted the application, <laughs> application and you're talking yourself out of it. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's really about that, you know, open and closing. Uh, to change and the second part of that is and and it is because of the sales of marketers i believe that that we have this in change <laughs> theory so just anybody sales and marketing i'm not blaming you because you need it in your hey, business i'll be the first to take it man <laughs> but we don't need it in the change business at this point for some reason and you know we we're in this sort of culture uh, at work that if we uh tell people the benefits of the change that we think they're going to get on board yeah like tell the benefits of it, they'll mm -hmm. buy it. Tell yep. the benefits of it, they'll go into this. Your productivity will increase oh, two it's, times. I think it's yeah. a bunch of horse shit if I can say horse <laughs> shit on this. Go for it, man. Um, I think that's a bunch of hogwash. Like yeah. I, what I believe in that, I, what I believe is this, and I take a very firm stance on this. Yes, there are some benefits to some people. When you're in an organization, there might not be benefits to everybody. There might actually be impacts on people that aren't positive. Mm -hmm. And by spinning the benefits of how great this is, is not going to get anybody on board with your change. Nobody. Nobody. It's actually going to alienate them. So, you know, two pieces to think about with this is instead of asking what are the benefits or what's in it for me, you hear that WII FM radio station, what's in it for me? <laughs> ask what's the impact? What's the impact? Great. And always ask what's the impact. It's better than just benefits. It's like if you're buying a condo, the benefits are great, but what's the impact? You have larger mortgage payments, a lot. Can you do it? Mm -hmm. And asking what's the impact, which includes what's positive about this, but also what are the impacts going to be on people? Yeah. Negative. And sometimes we hear, oh, leaders don't talk about, want to talk about negative stuff. I'm like, well, their head's in the sand then because it's going to come out. Right. So, you know, open it up, create a space for us to have the conversation. Sure. It Consider the upside, you... downside, regular Absolutely. side. And, yeah. and it doesn't mean we have to solve it. No. Just listening to people can move them down the path of change. And we forget that. You know, we think we have to problem solve everybody's things because we're all good problem solvers. Absolutely. I think you like this. So Dr. Kelly McGonigal, whose book I reference quite extensively, whether it's in my own book or in speaking, she wrote The Upside of Stress. Mm. She talks about there being two types of stress, which is what you alluded to earlier. She says there's good stress, which is the stress that's plentiful, that brings mm -hmm. you closer to your goal, that mm -hmm. is a precursor to the thing that you love eventually that will bring fulfillment to your life. And then there's bad stress. Mm -hmm. um, that's the stress that we've, most people have come to know, which is, oh my, all stress is bad stress, but it's not true. You stress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S -E -S -S is the good stress and de-stress is the bad stress. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing is, is that we, whenever we're learning something, and you know, like whether it was me with those kids on the chalkboard or teaching canoeing at camp or working with inmates or at Starbucks mm -hmm. or you know, in healthcare, or you know, my own business now, whenever you're taking people from A to B, there's gonna be tension. You're right. There's gonna be stress. Because you're going to somewhere new that you haven't been before. Mm -hmm. You know, even going through this podcast, we're going from A to B. There, where there's not going to be, you know, tension and stress. But we just want to make sure we're doing things accurately. We make sure there's structure around us. We make sure all that sort of stuff happens so that we have no stress. Right. And yet the pressure's still on to make sure we do a good job. But that's the real world. Absolutely. And that's just in a little podcast from A to B. So think about an organization that wants to grow sales by 20% or a new entrepreneur. Oh my just goodness, yeah. Starting their business in scale. Mm -hmm. Stress, 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 stress. Some of it's good. It's about how you manage that.
What does stress look like at the inmate level? So you've done, mm. you've worked quite a bit in the prison system. Yeah. We've worked with inmates. Yeah, I love what, that. What, is, what, what, are the, what are some of the stressors that exist with that particular community? Because I imagine that's a world that many listeners, yeah. including myself, are not very familiar with, if at all. Well, I loved working with inmates. I, it's a cool, do I have time for a little story Absolutely. how I got there? Absolutely, please, please. So, it, you know, for anyone listening, you know, it's often those moments in your life when you're really paying attention that those doors open and you have to be open enough to get your head out of the way and just follow it. Because what happens is sometimes our heart says, go do something, and our head talks us out of it. Yeah. This was one of those things. So I was reading an article in a newspaper. Uh, this was back in the 90s article in the newspaper someone was writing about uh that inmates in canada didn't have access to health care for whatever reason wow and i was i was this little you know white bread suburban boy didn't know anybody who'd been in prison that i know of you know had never been in prison i think i was arrested when i was 10 for shoplifting a piece of gum or something oh my that's the, my closest interaction Greg. with the cops <laughs> right like you took that gum go put yeah. it back i like, stole okay. a pack of Yu-Gi-Oh cards back in the yeah day too, you know yeah. But I was, you know, so I've always had a good relationship with that. But so I read this article about inmates being denied access to healthcare, and something triggered in me. And I don't know what it was. It was a sense of social justice. I did not have that label for it. But I was this naive little white bread kid going, you can't be denied access to healthcare in Canada. It's Canada. Yeah. <laughs> and I wrote the person who wrote the news or who wrote the article, and I said, I need to get involved. And I just started uh, volunteering initially to go into the prisons and work with the inmates and, you know, talk about different, uh, not just health concerns they had, but uh, different ways that they could interact better in the population to make it safer for everyone. Right. Most of the people I worked with weren't ever going to get out of jail. And, you know, I'm not a bleeding heart. I believe if you're healthy enough to do the crime, you're healthy enough to do the time. And right. I'm all behind that. Lock them up. Mm -hmm. Um Yet a lot of people do get out of jail, and uh, because they do, they, they don't do crimes that require them to be in 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 jail their whole life. And you know, the biggest thing is about helping them make that transition. And they're in jail for a reason, right? You know, a lot of the people I worked with, you know, the stories I could tell you from their families, and you know, shooting their kids up with heroin at the age oh, of eight. Goodness. You know, so of course you're going to get a drug addict as a kid. Yeah. You know, and of course you get sucked into that environment. Sure. Systemic. Many, many. Yeah. A lot of it's of time, systemic. Yeah. A lot of it's systemic, and I, and that's nothing against anything that happened to any of the victims. Right. Right. But it is a it's a systemic problem, and you know the challenges they really faced were the basic skills that all of us have on the outside who are and we use the term relatively mm -hmm. relatively sane and healthy. Right. Uh, you know, depending on your environment, a lot of the folks in jail don't have that. No. So simple things like compassion, because we know that if you have compassion for things, you're less likely to hurt them. Mm -hmm. So, if you, so you know, a lot of them didn't even have that skill of compassion or yeah. empathy. Kind of born to lose almost, right? Yeah. yeah, and and a lot of that comes from their conditioning, where they were brought up, and you know, all that sort of stuff. And I mean, I grew up in a poor home. But my mom always fought to put me in better schools. And I phoned her that day after I went to jail. And I said, thank you for doing that. Because yeah. it's, you know, it's all about that circle, who you hang out with, who your friends are, who your family is. And it's, it's tough. Right. Because when you get out of jail, who do you go back to? Your friends and family. Mm -hmm. So it's not an easy you know, challenge. Transition, yeah. My biggest contribution, I think, uh, with my work in jail, I didn't work full time, just part time. My biggest contribution, which... I, I believe it was, and certainly what people told, was when you were treating people as individuals, 
instead of a number, they would treat you back with that same compassion and empathy. So, but just by shaking their hand, and they might not get their hands shaken, mm-hmm. and treating them like I would treat you. Yeah. To me, it seems rather pedantic. Right. Uh, or even patriarchal. Sure. Yeah. But. Um, in that environment, they really respect that. I never felt unsafe. I can tell you that in all the years. That's awesome, Greg. I yeah. mean, that's uh, that's incredible that you did that. And you know, right before we got on air, we were talking about um, you know being an expert first and then a speaker after that. And, and yeah. you know, all of your audiences are so grateful to have had you know decades of experience, such well, rich experience you. doing real work that begets um, you know the topics that you talk about today on stage. Um, I want to take a slight detour over here at this point of the podcast and go into a little bit of a funny segment over here called the Halo Skull segment. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we uh, we started now diving into your Instagram, going all the way to the beginning oh, and goodness. just trying to find a, a somewhat embarrassing picture that requires a bit of explanation. Oh, but it's no. a totally optional part of the podcast. So, so you can I decline have to it. Find one or you have oh, one? we found it oh, for you. Gosh. We found two of them for you. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay, sure. Let's look. You want to do this? All well, right. Well, Greg, uh, we're just going to call this Explain this is That Grand. This my Instagram, right? Not my personal. This is Instagram. your work Instagram. Instagram. Okay, I wouldn't good. do your personal Instagram. Thank you. It's blocked, I think. <laughs> okay, let's fi- privacy let's, settings. Let's set fire this high. up. So what we have over here, Greg, oh, no. is uh, this is a picture of Greg from 23 years ago. Oh, I'm just I... gonna fire that up right there. Am I on a camel? Right there. I think you might be on a camel. You're looking like Billy Zane from Phantom oh, 204. I am in Egypt. <laughs> You're in Egypt. That was 1985. You're looking good, man. It was Look cool. at that. <laughs> that was at the... Please explain what, what's was, happening Yeah, here. that was down in Luxor at the Valley of... That wasn't the Valley of the Kings. It was the Temple of Karnak or Temple of Luxor. That was Temple of Luxor. Yes, Temple of Luxor. Yeah, Yeah, down in Karnak or down in uh, Luxor. Right on. And... Uh, it was a very cool trip. Very, very cool trip. Cool or cold? Sorry. Cool. It's cool. Okay. Very, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it's like this is Egypt, right? Yeah. <laughs> like I, I loved mummies since I was a kid. Yeah. And King yeah. Tut and all that stuff, and to go and explore Egypt, which I, you know, this was before you know terrorism and all this sort of sure, stuff. Sure. Yeah. So I through unrest Egypt yeah. by myself. No way. Yeah. What was the most surreal moment for you over there, walking through, <sighs> you know? They were probably building, or there's probably stones there that are older than most cities. So the two (laughs) surreal things were this. Um, We've all seen King Tut's tomb on TV. Sure, yeah. National Geographic. Yeah. And the coolest thing was King Ramsay's uh, tomb. So King Tut's tomb is about the size of this room. It's really small. Really? King Ramsay's tomb, the third, I think it was. Six underground city blocks. What? Huge ceilings. Blue azure with white stars oh, that man. were original. That's that. That's Colored. that. Colored like the the reds and the yellows and the yeah, like just you really saw the magnificence. And how did the how did Ramses end up with like the four seasons of? <laughs> because King Tut wasn't influenced <laughs> ruler at all. Yeah. He was a boy king that was only ruling for a really? year or two. They just put him in the little motel yeah, there. He yeah. was nobody. <laughs> he was a nobody. Whereas Ramses III was a huge king and pharaoh. So interesting. And so that was cool. And then, of course, being in uh, the big pyramid of Kefren or Cheops. I can't remember which mm-hmm. one it was. But being inside, going up the little wow. hunching like this where, you know, 4,000 years ago they'd been carrying in bodies and people and things oh was literally probably one of the coolest experiences of my life. I can't wait to go. I mean, I'm going to... Well, you must. But go I on a tour. To. That's what I would tell people today. Not and, self-guided the way you... No, yeah. you know, it's very... <laughs> I, I swore I would never go back. Right. But I would, but I, I have money now that I could go back in a better way. And I would, it's just too, it's hard if you don't know Arabic. It's hard. It's hard if you don't know Arabic. That's it. No, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. We'll go with that. Yeah. 
All right, Greg, that brings us to the performance point segment of the podcast where we unravel your productivity systems. We talk about how it is that you manage and optimize your time, your energy, and your attention. I'm very excited to hear your answers because I imagine I that... I hope I do all that. Oh, you know, you, you do that very well. I mean, and, and your career is a testament to that, well, that you've achieved you. an altitude, you've achieved a level of success that uh, I'm very proud of, very excited for you, but thank also, you. you know, as an aspiring... Uh, like elite speaker, I would like to I would like to, to to emulate. So here I go with a couple of selfish questions that I hope sure. will also provide a lot of value to the ideas and the action community. So the first one is how do you turn your downtime into uptime? And let's talk specifically about the fact that you're on the road all the time. Right. And on the road meaning you're up in the air, you're actually on the road, you're traveling for your work. That's a lot of time that could easily just be turned into, mm. you know, just drinking on a flight and watching, I don't know, The Mummy The Mummy Returns. I don't know why I picked that movie, but that's yeah. That's okay, and that's what I do, actually, when I'm on you a flight. You just totally relax on a flight? I, I, it depends. So I take my flights as those luxury moments where I'm disconnected. Huh. And I like to watch a movie and I get in trouble at home all the time because I've seen all the movies. <laughs> uh, so I actually do look at it as downtime. If I'm a long flight, I usually try to do book some creative stuff into my time. So I, at certain times of day, I, re I really like to edit and write and do that sort of stuff. But it's very, I have one hour bursts of that. Mm -hmm. So I try to schedule that sort of stuff if I'm if I'm going to be on a flight and I don't have the time and and you know or if I've been really busy it just really depends what my energy is going to be like for that flight. That's really interesting. I did not expect that. Mm -hmm. Bailey and I are always the types to no. you know we rack up those Boingo no. credits no. and what's the other Wi-Fi provider? It's no. not coming to me, but I want to relax. Way to go. I want to relax. I w one of the things I believe and. Um, has been, I guess, a mantra of mine for, uh, maybe it's not a mantra, maybe I'm just plain lazy, but um, I really uh, think downtime's important uh, to clear your mind. My brain works a lot, like everybody's brains. Sometimes mine has a hard time shutting off. Mm -hmm. And so when I get in that moment to just go, ah, I take <laughs> advantage of it. Because you know this as a speaker. If I'm doing a keynote the next day, sometimes I'm going over the words in my head the night before. Should I use this word or that word? Should I use yep. this word or that word? What about that word there? Is this more impactful? And so, and when you run your own business, it's 24-7. It's like when you're doing a master's degree. It's 24-7. It does not stop. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I find anything that can help me shut my brain off, I actually use it because I recharge. Yeah. So that when I get off the plane, I'm actually fully engaged, fully prepared, ready to step down, ready to step up. I can go to my hotel, prepare everything there, go in and bam, deliver. That's it. Fresh and clear and yeah. just on. Because I know, I think the trick with everybody is to know when your produ productivity times are and how your brain energy works. Mm -hmm. And my energy is very cyclical and it's in bursts. I'm not one of those people who uh, could be a scientist and stare at a molecule under a microscope for eight hours, like would just drive me bonkers. Right. And, and that's probably why I'm an entrepreneur is that I, you know, I, I like to multitask. I like to have a lot of things on the go. And it's about knowing when that is good for you. So I know, uh, you know, mornings are usually a really good time for me for writing, for doing any administrative that I hate doing. I mm -hmm. can do hour bursts of it and get on. Afternoons, I like to have more meetings and discussions. 
that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm lucky that I can structure my time like that. If you're given an option by an, a conference organizer to speak at any mm. point in the day, what would you choose? What would be the sweet spot? When are you the most on? You know, it really depends. So I love doing openings to kick people off. Yeah. But part of me loves doing closings because you get to wrap it all up and send people on their way. So it, it really depends upon the vibe of the conference. One thing I will not do, and I've been counseled against this, and I agree with it, says <laughs> I will never do a keynote while people are eating lunch. Oh, God. I will do a keynote after they eat yeah. lunch, but I will not do it while they are eating lunch. It's the worst, isn't it? The yes. clinking and the no, clanking and no, people no, are no, chewing. No, 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 no. You'd have yeah. to pay me a lot of money to do that. But then I'd look stupid. So. It's like you're just speaking to a wall at that yeah. point. No one's actually into what you're saying. I mean, no. even if they're pretending that they no. are, you just or even if they are, it looks like they're pretending. The coffee and dessert has to be served. Yes, absolutely. That's super interesting. What about when you're like cooking, for instance, or running in the morning? I do hate you, cooking. I hate you know running. What? I love cooking. I hate running. I'm with you on that. <laughs> but running, for instance, yeah. that I consider that to be downtime. It's a yeah. necessary thing that I have to do. I need to do more of it. But I can't just run. I have to have oh. something on. I have to listen to a podcast. Oh, okay. I have to listen to an audiobook. Do you ever try to sort of multitask and you pair like a big mindless sort of thing with another mm, thing? No. 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 Always monofocus, just one yeah, thing at a time. You yeah, you know, I, I work out. Like I go to the gym a lot. And I like to listen to music when I'm at the gym. I can't listen to music when I work. I have Same. to be completely focused. Um, I find um, if I'm writing or reading or practicing speaking, I have to give it 100% focus. Like when I'm doing a walkthrough of a speech, uh, knowing that it'll change on the fly anyway, but I still have to do a walkthrough. Um, it's... Yeah, I have to be focused. Yeah, and it's yeah, yeah, because I'm one of those people who can be very scattered. Right. Squirrel, squirrel. squirrel. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, let's go there. You got to zone in and lock. It in. was just like on the break. I'm like, am I in focus? Yeah, you're no. on focus or whatever I said. You know, because no, you're, you're that's, great. That's my sort of. I think very circularly, not linearly. Absolutely. One of the best investments <clears throat> that I made recently was a pair of noise canceling headphones. I got yeah. the Bose Q35s. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Just the ability to zone in on a task and not have the auditory distractions yeah. was absolutely fascinating. Started sleeping with earplugs now, oh, yeah, I do. which is a weird thing as well. And I've learned that not not many people do that. Oh, yeah, I'm like, you know, you need to, you need to try. The quality yeah. of your sleep yeah. will significantly improve. It will. Speaking of sleep, yes, what does sleep. relaxation look like for Greg Brown? Because mm. you are on and you're doing this high energy <clears throat> flaming out on stage yeah. and then what happens in the come down period so i get energy from working with people huh. so i'm not one of those people um you know if any of you know any of the you know myers briggs or any of the yeah. the what's your mbti the, score the, the enfp right enfj my j and p are pretty similar so what that means is that's what's important to this conversation is, and you can do this you know any sort of assessment that measures how you get your energy and that's what that extroversion means i get my energy from groups and people um and it doesn't deplete me so you know i, I know many friends that are speakers that are raging introverts um, but they dial it up to get on stage mm -hmm. i have to dial it up to get on stage too but i'm actually when i'm on stage i have to moderate no way yeah like i have to bring it down otherwise i can talk too fast i can go all <laughs> over the map i can you know, and I have to sort of vary my pitch, modify my tone, slow it down a bit, wow. which this feels really slow to me. Um, so, yeah, so it's a bit of moderation. Um, yet when I go to a party, as an example, uh, if I don't know a lot of people, I'm, I'm like standing against the wall wanting to leave. Right. So it's not, you know, 
I get a lot of energy from people, from people but it right. also comes a point where I'm like, okay, I'm done, and I just want to go to the lake and chill out. And is the lake <laughs> right now like it seems to be your calm spot? That's the place where you feel feel some yeah, bedroom at home, right. home, and the lake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you structure your downtime? Do you like schedule your downtime into your mm-hmm. calendar? Yes. I schedule my gym into the calendar. I schedule, I'm a list maker. Yeah. And a list maker by necessity. Because if I didn't have a list, I wouldn't get anything done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a learned behavior, not a natural one. And it's ingrained in me now. So I love lists. I build my list into my calendar. Okay. It's one of the best productivity tips someone told me years ago in Do Outlook tell. was uh, in your calendar, don't use the list function in Outlook. Put it right into the time on your calendar. Because when else are you going to do it if it's not in the time in your calendar? Can you give an example of what a list would Absolutely. look like in your calendar? So, for example, I open up uh, in Outlook from, say, what's tomorrow, mor- tomorrow, tomorrow morning? Tomorrow Tuesday, yeah. 9 till 10 o'clock. And I'll open up and my, my meeting, the booking will look like, call Hamza to find out about this. See Jane about that. Send huh. an email to that. Fill out Excel spreadsheet do that can i do all that in an hour okay no then i might need to extend half an hour bam and so then i extend that for half an hour in the afternoon you know i might blunt the time you know follow up with billy bob around this check out with that so i end what? up with a full day of calendar but it's not packed with meetings because guess what i have to get work done and so work meetings are work but it's being able to have that flexibility my oh my goodness! This is seems like the most simple revelation, but I think you just answered the question I've been I've been toying with for years now, which is what is the ultimate productivity system oh, look it's like? Only, it's simple, easy, and when else? You, like a list is Fuck. great, but when are you going to do the list? And now I'm realizing as you're saying this, wow, this is I'm having an epiphany right here. I have two to do lists. I've got my calendar and I've got Asana, and they're both trying to be the same thing. So my to do list is a bunch of things I need to do with when I need to get them done. Right. And my calendar is a bunch of places I need to be and times I need to block out, but there's it's missing that. How are you gonna task do that component? stuff from Asana Fuck. if it's not in your calendar? Because you're not going to have any time left. <laughs> like and th- it, this is why most people feel like they, yeah. they need to work evenings and weekends because they're not actually being productive. They're so scattered was, and working on a whole bunch of things. Exactly. So I was, I've been fortunate to have work and jobs and life that I've been able to have control over my calendar. And I realize a lot of people sure. listening probably don't. It took some time to get here, right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, you know, you can work for companies that have that too sometimes. Um, whereas, you know, people, I've, I've seen people block chunks of time for administrivia now and even seen executives starting to do that where they're booking time in their calendar i'm like how many years did that take you right because if you're in meetings from nine to five and i don't see how productive you can be in meetings from nine to five truthfully i don't care how productive your yeah. meetings are you still have work to do and if you have to be in that many meetings just having a meeting isn't a reason to have a meeting yeah you know there's ways to get things done that don't involve meetings mm-hmm. and um yeah i just book it right into your calendar so if it's like buy a birthday card put it in your friday calendar. it's in my calendar so i'm gonna do it at friday at four o'clock when i go to the gym i think there's been a natural evolution in my own calendar where my calendar is starting to resemble that but i've mm. still got this ever-growing to-do list in asana right now that's just filled with like micro tasks if you will Ooh. what would be an example of that an example of a micro task would be like buy greg's speaker's gift so when would you do that if it's not in your calendar right and so it's in my to-do list my to-do list said do it last week so i got the gift last week 
but it was like one of these like five minute tasks that I didn't feel like I needed to create a calendar item for, yeah. but I should have done that. Yeah, which is pop it into like a chunk of time. Like let's say for example, if you know you have to get this little gift, right. I look at my calendar during the week. I'm like, oh, it looks like Thursday I've got a block of time. Maybe I'll go to the gym and do the calendar thing right after and throw all that stuff in there now. It's interesting. And then, I mean, you can move it. Right. But the trick is it just has to be moved to another day then or it doesn't get on the list. Well, this is the next step because what I have in my in my calendar right now is I have these massive gray chunks called work, but they're nebulous. They just say work. And within that work nebulous calendar invitation, I'm just doing all the things in my to-do list. But the next step, the next logical progression is to do exactly what you're doing. Fuck, Greg. I'm so happy we had this conversation because you've... This is it. This is the thing I need to work towards. Well, well and it, it was a default for me because I'm lazy. And I don't <laughs> understand technology. Yeah. And I don't want, you know, it comes back to what I believe. If you make it too complicated for people, they will not do it. Right. And I know for me, if you tell me to fill out this form that looks like this, that looks like that, and click three buttons here and click there, unless it's something I really, really want, mm-hmm. or a video I really want to see, I'm done in 20 seconds. I'm onto something And you're else. onto something else. Yeah. And I... And it's just a default to that is that, you know, I don't want, most people don't use all the bells and whistles in their technology. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't even use, you know, uh, someone said, oh, you can use voice dictation to send yourself stuff. I'm like, I send myself emails. <laughs> yeah, all the And time. I send just myself emails. Time, I yeah. text myself, email, or I, <laughs> I voice text my emails when I'm driving to myself. So then I get home and I see all these emails and I transfer those emails to a place on the calendar. So the That's work goes it. into the calendar. It becomes something that you have to do within the 168 hours of Fortitude every single week. Yeah, or I put in, stuff like uh like say i have a client list to follow up with i i put a block of time in the calendar and i'll say c file folder for client list to follow up with in this time like i'm not gonna list all my clients in the no me but i refer to the folder where the work is right on and greg simple 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 i i love this and honestly we could do a whole other episode on just this calendar Mm -hmm. practice because i'm I'm nerding our hard right now but but let's talk about attention real quick Mm -hmm. uh not real quick let's take your time with this because i want to know and i think the listeners want to hear about what your process looks like Mm -hmm. for showing up to a big moment whatever that might be whether the listeners are preparing for a game that they're going to play or they're about to deliver a workshop to their colleagues whatever that big scary moment mm-hmm. is and for you that could be speaking mm-hmm. i imagine mm-hmm. how is it that you bring your a plus mm-hmm. game to that moment well you know what i think it starts the moment you wake up in the morning has to start from the beginning i believe it and uh so I know people who get up in the morning and say, oh, shit. <laughs> I do. I've met people yep. who get up and they're like, oh, shit. Um, I think it's a conscious decision to do that. Or it's unconscious. If you're getting up in the morning and saying, oh, shit, it probably means you need to look at what's going on in your day and what you need to change and what you're not happy about. It sounds small, mm-hmm. but our words create our thoughts, which create our feelings, which create our behaviors. Words creates thoughts. 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 Yeah. So if you say, oh, shit, you're like, right. there's a thought that's creating that, but your word's also creating that, right? Like right. it's sort of a cycle. And then you act in a way that is commensurate to that thought. Totally. Huh. So you're more putting out there, you're like, oh, shit, I'm going to have a shitty day. Yeah. Well, guess what? Now you're, you're going to have a shitty, shitty day. It doesn't right? mean you're yeah. not going to have a shitty day, but it's, you're more likely to have one. Right. So, you know, so one of the things I learned a number of years ago, I can't remember where I read it. Um, and I used to take sleeping pills to sleep because I had a tough time sleeping. Wow. And this got me off sleeping pills. And it sounds silly, but I'll explain it. I started to get up every morning before I even opened my eyes and thanked my bed for a really good sleep. I was like, thank you, bed, for keeping me so warm. And I love it. Makes and, sense. <laughs> and just cozy tonight and safe. There's so many people who don't have a warm bed like this. Course, I'm just so yeah, thankful. Yeah. Thank you. 
And and that may sound voodoo, airy fairy, but it really talks about what what that really is about is is what we talk about in life, which is what is your relationship to things, you know? So is your relationship to your life that you think it's shitty, or is your relationship to your life do you think it's good? Is your relationship in your life to your bed do you think it's a good bed, or every time do you go in bed at night going? God, I don't want to fall asleep. I never can fall asleep in this horrible bed. I'm going to have to take a sleeping pill. And I found that when I thank my bed in the morning, I was like, hey, bed, I'm looking forward to going to sleep. Yeah. And I got off sleeping pills like that because I transformed my relationship right. with things. And that is sort of the precursor for the day. So I think for any big or small experience, you have to set your day up for success. And so for me, I'm not saying everybody has to thank their bed, but be grateful <laughs> you have a bed if you have one. It's a great way to just, for me, start the day. It got me off sleeping pills, and now I actually look, for, when I see my bed, I can't even wait to go to bed. I love sleeping now. I and love I it. I hated it before. Um, so that then I think about what are the, the three things or big things that are going to happen that day. And I usually you know just see them going well or i say something like okay thank you for all these going well you know i see them happening really good and if they don't i'll handle them really well like just something thing like that just to pre-program the day a bit sure and i believe it's really important to pre-program your subconscious mind and your conscious mind to set yourself up for success because that's mm -hmm. what it is it's all about your thinking right your thinking is making or breaking you so if you get up and go oh cripes this happened this broke you know and i've done that i've driven to work in a bad mood because i spilled milk in the morning and wrecked everybody's morning for half an hour <laughs> i've done that yeah so get up in the morning i think my bed i uh i pre-program the day in whatever way works for myself at that moment in the day um right before i do a big workshop i've done this for years um, and I say this out loud, and I used to say it with people, and they'd all think I was a bit nuts, but I don't really care. It works for me. I'd say, this is going to be a really great workshop. It's going to be a wonderful exchange of information. Everybody's going to get what they need, and everybody's going to walk away pleased. Hmm. Put it out there just before I go in. Versus, a lot of us think, oh, I wonder if I'm going to say the right thing. I hope people like me. I hope it's going to be really good. Like, think about all those thoughts that go in. Right. Take control of it. I'm going to have a really great workshop, wonderful exchange of information. People are going to get what they need. Everyone's going to walk away please absolutely and i do that going on stage i still do it going on stage i say if i don't do it i panic and i run to the bathroom and then you manifest that on stage most of the time i mean sometimes i'm good sometimes i'm great and sometimes i bomb and i haven't bombed a lot but i've had a few and uh the times that you have bombed can you trace them back to bad preparation during the day uh has that always been the cause well or, so yeah so this is the thing no it's that's not it's about how you handle it okay so when you prepare your day to have a good day and set yourself up for success doing whatever rituals people want to do those work really work well for me it doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen but what it does mean is you're going to be in the mindset to handle them better yes Right? So you're right. going to be much more open to the change than closed. If you haven't knocked over the milk that morning and broken the glass and done that, you'll be much more open so that when the bad things do happen, you'll have much more confidence to solve them. You'll probably solve them quicker. You'll handle it better. You won't fly off the tree. Right. You know, all that sort of stuff. So that's so, so interesting, Greg. It's funny. I'm looking at my notes over here and the follow-up question I wanted to ask you is what is the weirdest ritual you have before a talk? But uh, I think thanking your bed in the Thank morning. You well, and you know what I tell people that? Yeah. I, what I tell people about that is, and you could be thanking anything. It's about 
you know, whatever object you have, your home, your car, you have a relationship with it because you purchased it. Yes. And relationship, I don't mean you're going to love and kiss it and smooch it. That's not yeah, what no. I mean. It's part of you. It's, it's part, a part of, of life. you. Yeah. You bought it for a reason or you like it for a reason. Sure. You don't like it for a reason. It has some intrinsic value based so on that. So if you don't position. like something, get rid of it. Yep. You know, or a condo. Yeah. And if you go into, I can tell you, if you go home every day saying, I hate this house. I hate this house. You're going to hate your house. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. duh. You know, if you go into work every day saying, I hate my boss. I hate my boss. And you might have reason to hate your mm -hmm. boss. I'm not saying don't hate your boss, but if you hate me, I guarantee you're going to hate yeah, your boss. Death by a thousand cuts. Right. right. Yeah. So you can pre-program your thinking. And that's not voodoo. It's, it's the way our mind works. It's the way our cognitive brain works. We're one of the only creatures that can create a plan to the future when we have a vision of what the end result looks like and to have a mm -hmm. vision of what that end result looks like requires us to be able to articulate it to think about it clearly to say it in a way that makes sense and that's just like me thanking my bed i'm thanking my bed because i had a really good sleep in it and i'm looking forward to another good one tonight and guess what would happen i ended up with these great sleeps Greg, Sometimes it sounds I like think my car. <laughs> and, and and you know what? I I'm I'm right there with you. People might think it's well, you said it's voodoo, but no, I I do that actively in my life right now. But I think that that's the microcosm of organizational change leadership. What you just described right now—that process of setting a goal and then having the right kind of processes and systems in place of getting you there in in a way that um, you know is befitting to the initial vision that you had set out. Well, that sounds like it, that it, sounds like the like that that sounds that sounds like accomplishment to me. Well, and it is that it's it's you know, the whole concept of relationship is you know I can tell people I mean if you don't believe me that thanking things changes your relationship with them go home and start telling your partner to go to hell every day and yeah, tell see. them how much you hate them. <laughs> yeah. See what happens see to that your relationship. You. Yeah. <laughs> you know if you go to work every day you know with with a you go into work I hate my work I hate my work where well, you're going to have a bad attitude about that mm -hmm. and it's going to come out. And, you know, any time you have a difficulty with something, and the bed thing's a very fun example because it, I didn't realize, if you look at the thoughts you think about your actions during the day, you'd be surprised what's often going through your head. Mm -hmm. So do you walk home in your door at night and go, oh, shit, I don't want to be home tonight. I have to cook dinner. Well, you're going to be really fun to walk around. Right. I'm not saying be airy, fairy, Pollyanna, pie in the sky, because change isn't <laughs> roses and lollipops and sunshine and rainbows. It's right. not. Change is crap sometimes. Yeah. But the trick with this is to figure out what you want to have happen and, you know, use a process that works for you to get your energy up. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean voodoo energy. I mean your physical, electrical energy sure. coursing through your body that you have. How to get that up before you go on stage. How to get that up before you go to a client call. How to get it up when you're sick. How to get it, you know, all that stuff is bringing that energy up. Mm -hmm. Focused, consistent application to bring on, yeah. Well, and since you have to do that when you walk in the house at night, if you've been working all day in a crappy job you don't like, you have to bring your energy up when you come home because you can't just be crappy in a crappy mood all the time because then you have to change your job. I love this. And and what you said right now, Greg, is is the synthesis of, of you've, you've really taken and built upon, and I think this is episode 19 that we're doing. I could mm. be wrong over here, but you've built on 19, 18 other guests that have come before you who have shared you know, shades and, and different pieces of what you've talked about. But I think you've just harmonized what I think is the crux of the ideas into action philosophy, 
over here, which is creating habits, creating daily consistent daily actions, manageable, small things. Like for the people that laugh about thinking they're bad if they're having a difficult time sleeping, try it for 30 days and tell me if that didn't work. Oh man, I'm doing it tonight. I'm thanking my bed tonight yeah, and every other night for the rest of my life. We thankful we have a bed. There's millions of people on the planet who don't have a bed. So why shouldn't you be grateful you have a nice little bed that curls you up and of keeps course. you warm, and gives then, you a good sleep instead of resenting going to bed because you know you're not going to sleep because of the snoring and the pills and mm -hmm. the, you know it's, it just do you see do you see it's it's for me what it is about and this is with change leadership and when i say leadership i don't mean for leaders because i believe everybody's a leader regardless of the job title is that what it's really about is finding those practical techniques that work for you mm -hmm. you know and and whatever those are that change your relationship to whatever the issue is right you know if it's a bad you know the worst thing you can do you know if someone's home's burnt down for example you know and then let's blame sales and marketing for this again. <laughs> oh man sorry sales and marketing we're the, folks worst. we're the worst let's put the benefits on it so <laughs> so here's what happens you're standing there looking at your house burned down a well-meaning neighbor comes over at least you still have your health and your kids are safe and you're like, screw off. I just lost my me. bloody house. Yeah. I know I'm safe, but now I lost all my pictures. I have to get a new home. Where am I going to live? I have to go to work tomorrow. Mm. You know, and you're angry because yeah. they're trying to put a positive spin on a bad situation. situation yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Don't do. Don't put a positive spin on a bad situation. If something bad happens, like your house burns down, just be with that person. Hey, it sucks your house burned down. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Doing that will move people down the path of change. Yeah. Putting a positive spin on people will not move them down that path. No. If it's a negative change, you want to just be, if you acknowledge and just be with them with that, that will move them. Yeah, ride that downswing, kind of sit in the shit for a bit. You know? Sit in the shit. I love sitting in the shit. That is a great term. <laughs> I'm going to steal that. Do so. Well, Greg, this is, the, you've, you've been rocking this. You've been on fire. And uh, speaking oh, of which, you. we'll bring this to the final, the final segment of the podcast, which is a rapid fire round. Uh -oh. These are 10 handpicked and in some cases, uh, remixed questions just for you. The trick, Greg, is you have to answer with whatever comes to mind immediately. Okay. So we're going to ask you these questions. We're not going to give you too much time to think about them. Uh, but if if you need to, by all means, this is a pretty easy going, chill okay. podcast. Ready for this, Greg? Go. These are 10 questions, a rapid fire round with Greg Brown. Number one, what's the one book you've read the most often in your life? Oh, that would be... You can create an exceptional life by Cheryl Richardson. Hmm. If you had yeah. to guess how many times you read that book in your life, what would that number be? Are we talking double digits? Fifty. Fifty. Oh my goodness! I mean, if that's not an endorsement of that the book, might be I don't know where what I got is. the thinking you're bad. Okay. Well, that's that. Yeah, we're going to put that in the show notes, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right you create on. An exceptional life. And I think that's where I got thinking you're bad from. And it really, I got off the sleeping pills because of it. So that is awesome. Yeah. Question number two: mm -hmm. What is your biggest pet peeve as a professional speaker? What is my biggest pet peeve? I would say, um, what is, I don't know what my biggest pet peeve is. I, I there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> you know no, what, I'm give gonna, us two or three. You know what, I'm gonna, I, you know, I think my biggest pet peeve is um, when the audio and technology doesn't work properly, huh. when it's been tested a bunch of times. And people, and, and, and pet peeves for me always have me a little worried when people say, yeah, no, we got it all under control and everything's good. I'm like, can we just check that again? So a bit of a control freak and it's not about oh, being a control freak for me. 
It's I want everybody there to have the best experience they can. And if they can't see me, hear me, see the video clips, hear the audio, um, it just bring, it brings people down. That's whether I'm teaching canoeing or crafts. Yeah, right? It's the same yeah, thing. Yeah. It's like, I want everybody to have a great experience. So what is all the infrastructure we need to put in place to make it happen? Oh, my goodness. I didn't, I didn't think about that until just now, about how much of a deal breaker bad AV can mm. be when it comes to speaking. I once had yeah. a confidence monitor that was supposed oh, to show my previous monitor. slide. Present slide, next slide. Oh, so it made sense. Like, this is what happened. This is where I'm at. This is what's coming up. I press next, and all of them changed to the same slide. Yeah. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness. What am I going to do here? Well, I've never had that many confidence monitors. Right? So, yeah, I don't I usually have one. I overconfidence have, monitor. <laughs> I might have one monitor that just has my current slide, not with the, the future one. So you're lucky you have that. That's I've had to learn the hard way, sir. That is. Number three, mm -hmm. if you could choose a keynote walkout song, what would it be? So here comes Greg Brown. Moves like Jagger. He's got the moves <laughs> like Jagger. I actually use that as my walk-on song. Actually? Yeah, I do use moves like Jagger as a bit of a joke because I tell people that I'm not going to make them move. How do you get walkout songs for your keynotes? Is this a thing that you I, could ask? So uh, Yeah, so this is what I did. <laughs> I've been doing this wrong, man. <laughs> I took control years ago. I was doing a keynote, an opening keynote for a conference. And they were basically playing funeral music before I got on stage. I'm not joking. <laughs> the Undertaker Everybody theme. Everybody was hungover. Ding, they ding, were, you know, ding, playing funeral music. I thought, I'm taking ding. control of this. <laughs> and so what I do is after they do my introduction, I have it built into my um, my uh, slide deck. Uh, just a short little sound clip of about 25, 30 seconds. And they do the intro and then I walk up to it and I can control it myself. Nice. I actually, I took out moves like Jagger last year, but it's one, one of my favorites. I have a one by, uh, by a Saskatoon band in it right now called uh, Warm Mouth Masons, the name of the band that have a book on change. Right it's on. Change, but be yourself now. That's the song. Good so for I you. That. That's yeah. awesome. I did not know that. But my was real one's Moves do. Like Jagger. I love Moves Like Jagger. Moves Like Jagger. Well, it gets everybody up. My other big one would be, uh, uh, the BG song "You Should Be Dancing." It's very you high energy. You should be dancing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've used those. I've used those when I've emceed, like as yeah, as as uh, intro and outro music. Right, just segment. tease you up. And you can just... bring up the energy. People will stop talking. This is the biggest tip for anybody out there who has to do events. People stop talking as the music increases, so you never need to go. Okay, everybody, sit down. Shut up. You just start the music three minutes before you're going to go up gradually turn it up until it's really loud and people just sit there. Just shut up. Yeah. This is good advice. I have to MC my sister's engagement coming up. So there you go. now I know Music. what to do. Moves like Jagger. Should be dancing. <laughs> do Justin Timberlake. It's a feeling. That's it. You know what? I think I'm going to go for it. I That's think I'm going to ask tip. this year, I'm going to ask a conference organizer to do some walkout music. Well, no, but you take control of the music. Don't ask them to do it. They won't do it. Where do you play it, though? Do you have a speaker with you on stage? Like No, it's but I have audio with my... On the slides. Yeah. That's you how just, you sneak you, it in yeah, there. You Shit. Just, you just go insert <laughs> audio file, just like insert video file. Craig, you sneak video, it in. And it's right on there. You can control it with your clicker. Yeah, don't ask the conference organizers to... They don't have time to do all that stuff, and they won't know what the music is, unless they're really big conference okay um, but i always tell people after you do my introduction i'll control the sound i go through it with the audio people av make sure it works and then i can stop it myself when i'm on stage 
This is happening this Friday. If you're at UTSC and you're here for my keynote on Friday, well, by the time this podcast airs, it's going to be long past, but I'm going to debrief it with you. Yeah, I'd love to debrief it. I'm going to let you know how my my keynote walkout song went. Yeah, just it's the funeral music in the morning, (laughs) right? That just, I thought I have to take control of the energy around my engagement. There you go. That's what it is. There you go. Greg, bringing it back to the rapid fire round. No problem. What is the thing you love the most about your partner? Uh, non-judgmental and willing to listen. Lovely. Number six, number five, sorry. What is your favorite TED Talk other than mine, of course? I love your TED Talk. Thank you. I don't really have a favorite TED Talk. I really mm. like yours. Okay, well, thank you. That's the best compliment I could ask for. Uh, what movie made you cry the most? Dark Victory, Betty Davis, 1939, when I was 15. <sighs> Just well, what kind of cry was it? Like a just oh, tears walling down, or when just she a died ugly... at the end because she had brain cancer. No. Ronald Reagan was her husband in the movie. This is 1939, right? And she was a really nice horsewoman. She died of brain cancer, and she's out in the field, and all of a sudden she can't. She's like, is the is the sun still out? It feels like it's <laughs> it's warm, but I it's dark now, and no. she loses her sight and goes up to bed and dies. Oh my goodness! Oh, it was a good scene. That's devastating. Devastating. <laughs> it's a great scene. If you haven't seen it, 1939, Dark Victory. Better. Dark victory yeah uh what do you love the most about public speaking what do i love i love that it challenges me and i love that um i love when i can connect the dots for people i love seeing the light bulbs come on i love when people come up to me and say i knew that but i hadn't heard it in that way Mm because i don't believe you know i'm some enlightened guru up in front of the stage that's not my model um I believe that, you know, I have some knowledge, they have some knowledge, let's try to connect it and create those light bulbs. And that's what juices me up with that. Gotcha. What's a book you've been meaning, what's a book you've been meaning to finish? Um, do I have any in process now? I, you know, I read business books in chunks. I don't read them from start to finish. Uh, I think I have a Clive Cussler International Intrigue Deep Sea Water Mystery I need to finish on my next plane ride. There you go. My books are my plane, plane rides are books. Book time. Yeah. Your book is called Ready, Set, Change Again. Mm-hmm. If you were to publish another book, what would you call it? Well, I'm working on it right now, oh, which is really exciting. The exclusive. Give it to us. Well, I, I'll give you the working title, but it's sort of blah. Ah. So the working title is Change Ready Leadership, Strategies to Create Positive Change in Your Work, Life, and Community. That so I'm probably going to get rid perfect. of the Change Ready Leadership stuff, but I really love, you know, I really realized in my work that it's about it's not about just reacting to change and being resilient and and moving through change that that you know is disruptive to us that it's really about how do we seize opportunities how do we anticipate change how do we create that positive change and not just in our work but in our life and communities and most of my work as you've seen you know has blended in life and community work and not for profit and you know all over the map so i sort of want to bring that out Boom. Last question, Greg. You, you did this really well. Way to go. Uh, you've given us so many great pieces of advice mm. on, on this podcast, but what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received as Greg? The best piece of advice I've ever received. I would probably say always trust your gut. I know people always say that, but it's... It, 
it, it's about learning what is your gut reaction and what it is not, right? So it's sort of learning, is this real or is it not? Mm -hmm. Because when I, and, and not let your intellectual brain override that. Like you need a marriage of the both. Right. You know, and when I have, you know, let my intellect override that and said, you know, like, oh, I think they're going to be a really good hire because they've got all this, but you know, something's just off. Oh, but, you know, we'll make it work. Never, Never works. works yeah. And that's just to hire. I can do that with clients. I could do it with keynotes I'm going to. Like, I turned down a big piece of business in April because it was, it was asking me to do something that was just a little out of my comfort zone. And I thought, is this out of my comfort zone because I should stretch and do it? Or is it out of my comfort zone because it's just going to bring me down and make me not feel good. It was mm -hmm. like, bring me down, not feel good. So I said no. It was a lot of money, but I just said no. And I had to just suck it up and bite the bullet. But it was the right decision. There's something to that. And I think when people say trust your gut, what, what they're really saying is like, trust trust yourself because that's wisdom speaking well it's instinct it's, it's instinct wisdom. right it's, it's something ancient almost right? yeah and it is your you know i break it down you know most of the things we do in our life we do to feel good yeah you know whether it's drugs whether it's alcohol whether it's to get paid whether sure. it's whether it's to buy things it makes us feel good right and i think if we can figure out how do we want to feel and does this make me feel good or bad? Does me, or another way I like to think about it is, does this make me feel open or does this make me feel closed? Right. That's a big one I use. Like, does, does this expand me or make me want to retract? Yeah. So, you know, whatever language you use, gut, instinct, it's really looking at that dichotomy. Am I open or closed? Am I, you know, whatever language. Yeah. Greg, way to go. Well, yeah. thank you. That was awesome. It was awesome to spend some more time with you. I love oh our time God. together. This has been absolutely fascinating, absolutely insightful. I'm very, very grateful on behalf of all the Ideas Into Action listeners and viewers on YouTube, online, and any anywhere else you're getting this podcast. just want to give you a sincere thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, what's next for you? Well, as I'm not usually out of the house at 9 o'clock, as you all know, <laughs> I just can't wait to get home to my bed. Yes, it's been waiting for you. You know, my you know? Bed, I, when I get up in the morning, I look forward to going to bed. Uh, so, yeah, so... What, did you ask what's next for me now? Yeah, what's 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 happening in 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 the wild world of Greg? What's Brown? happening in the wild world? Of Greg? Well, a couple of things. You know, I just updated my website. I'm working with this great uh, speaker, business coach. It's one of those things I really believe for all of you listeners out there is that at different parts of our career and our life and our business, we need help from others, and it's a strength I think to reach out for help. So I'm working with this wonderful woman named Jane Atkinson, who's really pushing me out of my comfort zone to do stuff. So you know, we've redone the website, got a new demo reel out. I've started work on my second book. I'm working on a course with Thinkrific Ooh. to add into my keynotes. Amazing. And uh, my next big fun thing, I'm looking forward to going up to the Yukon and I do some work with the government, the First Nations community up there, and I'm delivering a couple workshops. So Fascinating. I'm, what workshops are I delivering? So we about difficult conversations and essential management skills so not all change but it's all the same all the same you're on the go and where on can people go. buy your book well they can buy my book at amazon.ca or okay. .com uh it's there i think the kindle version is really reasonably mm -hmm. priced ready set change again is the yeah it's the book ready yet. set change again very uh, quick read too i found it's it to be very great, digestible and like you know, easy to read absolutely you know and that's the reason i did that so again when i was doing my book people were like oh you need 300 pages I'm like that's <laughs> not who i am i need handy books i need something handy and so it's 100 pages. It's got some great change models in it, some fun little prison stories, my take on some ways to lead change. And I have VPs who are like, I leave it on my desk. You know, when people ask me about something, I just open it up and say, look at this. Yeah. And that's what I wanted, something useful. My next book's going to be a little meatier. Okay. Uh, but that, 
And all of my new stuff and podcasts and webinars and articles and publications are all available on my website, which is www.gregbrown.ca. And your social handles, Greg, so people can follow so your adventures So my social online. handles, you can all access them through my website as well. Okay. So gregbrown.ca. Um, if you go to at Greg Brown, G-R-E-G-G-B-R-O-W-N-T-O, because I'm in Toronto. That's it. Yeah, at Greg Brown T-O. That's my Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook business page. Perfect. Greg, again, thank you so much. This has been an ab- absolute honor. Uh, folks, uh, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, uh, I'm sure you had as much fun as I did and you learned quite a bit. So be sure to follow Greg on all of the different social platforms. Check out his website. Absolutely. Go ahead, get a copy of his book. Um, and I will see you all. We'll see each other next week at this time. So thank you so much for tuning in to another Ideas into Action episode. We're out. <laughs>